This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, March 23rd. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, county plans action on lead in school water. Wildfire mitigation expands despite expenses. El Zumbido from the Telluride Spelling Bee. And a mountain weather forecast. Last year, new legislation in Colorado asked all schools in the state to test their water for lead before May of this year. San Miguel County got right to work, and area schools, in collaboration with the county's Office of Public Health, already have some initial results. And, says Director of Public Health Grace Franklin, We really are, across the board, in a pretty good place. There were no levels that were um, extremely alarming. Um, but as we, as a state, continue to improve the health and safety of our communities, um, we're moving that standard um, to be higher by having lower lead levels. So even if the levels of lead found in area schools were low, they weren't zero. And that means they're not low enough. The testing identified 13 different water sources in county schools where lead levels could be improved. But Franklin explains that initial finding brought up more questions. There's a couple different ways that lead can be in our water sources. Primarily, it's in old piping or old faucets. Um, And so we have undergone additional tests to see out of these 13 um, water sources, what is the primary reason or having higher lead numbers. After this second round of testing identifies where exactly the lead is entering the water, the school can address the situation, says Franklin. If the primary source of lead is um, from the faucet, either the faucet will be replaced or a filter will be put on it, and that's um, sufficient to um, remove um, those lead levels. If it's the pipes, um, that's a whole nother process um, and will be a lot bigger infrastructure. This testing is specific to school facilities. Franklin says private homeowners and municipal tap water drinkers are safeguarded through different systems. Municipal water facilities have their own standards and adhere to federal standards to ensure that the water coming through um, towns and different municipal facilities are safe um, to consume. Um, so that's already in place, and um, the towns um, are doing a great job there. And then for those that might have concerns with lead in their own piping or own fixtures, the suggestion is to first um, put a filter on um, and then talk to contractors if you want to dive deeper. But in schools, water standards are particularly strict. Franklin says this is due to the people they serve. Young children and babies uh, tend to absorb lead more easily. And so if there is lead consumption at a younger age, there can be um, health implications in the long run. And so uh, the state and local public health agency is really prioritizing lead testing and lead remediation um, in those more vulnerable populations. The lead testing project is ongoing. In addition to the second round of tests, which are awaiting results, there are a handful of daycare facilities in the county that have yet to be tested at all. In the meantime, all lead-contaminated water sources have been shut off until remediation occurs. For many who know something of the potential damage and destruction, a catastrophic wildfire is a nightmare scenario. A major blaze can leave few options but evacuation. Even so, homeowners can take steps to safeguard their properties against a wildfire event. 
Just by examining a home from the outside, you can see if a property is well prepared. Or do they have a posted reflective address that is not flammable? You know, we don't want it on a wood post because if there's a fire, your address could be gone. You know, are there two or more roads in and out to the house so there's not just one escape route? Is the driveway wide enough for them to get out and fire trucks to get in safely? What is their roofing material? How far is it to dangerous topography like a canyon? That's Lee Robertson, Partnerships and Collaborations Director for the West Region Wildfire Council, which runs fire mitigation programs in a handful of Western Slope counties. One of the council's core programs provides wildfire audits to private homeowners to improve their preparedness. In the future, the council hopes to include insurance companies, says Robertson. They could get certified by us and would work with the insurance companies to make sure they could get insurance um, and hopefully it wouldn't be quite as expensive if they had the certification. West Region also organizes large-scale brush clearing projects that collaborate with the U.S. Forest Service, governmental agencies, and other entities. Take, for example, one project at Baldy Mountain outside of Ridgeway. So it'll be a multi-year project doing both mechanical work and prescribed fire And then West Region will be doing outreach to the landowners and offering to do site visits with them, offering to have them be part of our vegetation management program. So we hope to also be treating a lot of acres on private land through that project. Robertson presented at a work session of the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners this week. As usual with such work sessions, the conversation came around to funding. Most of the Wildfire Council's $5.2 million budget comes from federal grants. But, says Robertson, A lot of times the federal grants require a 50% non-federal match. And sometimes the cost of vegetation management projects can be over $5,000 an acre in some cases. Also, a lot of grants don't pay for staff time to administer projects, and um, donations don't cover all those costs. So local support from San Miguel County is critical to our programs. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper notes the council only spends $136,000 of that $5 million budget on projects in San Miguel County. Cooper addresses her specific concerns. And I I did see that some of the grants that um, you have applied for are specifically for San Miguel County. So I just wonder maybe more specifically how you intend to um, allocate more of your resources in San Miguel County. Um, It seems like you're sort of using the county to get grants. And then according to that number, um, you know, it's a pretty low percentage of 5.2 million. Cooper clarifies she'd like to see the Wildfire Council commit more, not less, to projects here in San Miguel County. What does the Wildfire Council need in order to make that commitment? Jamie Gomez, the council's executive director, says the answer is pretty simple. Just to be totally blunt, um, additional funding is really help, would be really helpful. Commissioners agree they can try to get the council more funds, but they'd like to see a more formal request. And that will have to wait until a future work session, when the Wildfire Council will return with a more exact estimate of its needs. The Palm Theater is buzzing with students, teachers, and parents. Spanish and English float through the air. Everyone is gathered for one specific reason. I'm so excited to be here. Telluride Intermediate School Principal Zoe Gallette. 
It's the intermediate school Spanish spelling bee. The Spanish spelling bee functions the same way as the English bee, which took place several weeks before. Students come up to the microphone, hear the word to spell, say the word, spell the word, and say the word. They can also ask for things like using the word in a sentence or asking for a definition. This year, teachers Vicente Artes Ucero and Ursula Cristol read the words out. Artes Ucero and Cristal each read all the words. Artes Ucero notes he's from Spain, Cristal is from Peru, so they speak the same language, but it's a different pronunciation. And with that, the B begins. Twelve students sit in a line on the stage waiting to spell. The first word is... Vaso, or glass. In the first round, one student is eliminated. Three more in the second round, one in the third, four in the fourth. Finally, fifth grader Keaton Koenig and seventh grader Emma Dominguez de la Torre remain. Koenig and Dominguez de la Torre volley back and forth for rounds, each spelling their word correctly, both missing. Dominguez de la Torre spells frigorifico, fridge, correctly before getting to the championship word. Tu palabra es constelación. 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 Constellation. The stars really did line up for Emma Dominguez de la Torre, 2023 Spanish Spelling Bee Champion. Over a lengthy approval process and a much-discussed design phase, the Voodoo Affordable Housing Project has already gotten lots of airtime in the community. Now, with final plans and approvals in place and construction underway, the project will raise a different sort of ruckus as it enters the loudest phase of its construction. The work entails driving large metal piles into the earth, which will serve as foundational supports for the building. 
The recent phase of construction began this week and will continue for roughly the next two months. Final demolitions on the site will be completed concurrently. Despite the ruckus, the construction will follow all town noise ordinances and be conducted during the work week only, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. A student shot two school administrators at East High School in Denver on Wednesday morning. Speaking at a press conference, Denver Police Chief Ron Thomas says the shooting happened just before 10 a.m. during a security screening of a student. As part of a safety plan, they were undergoing a search. Uh, during that search, uh, obviously a, a weapon was retrieved, a handgun was retrieved, and several shots were fired, striking those two individuals. The two shooting victims were transported to local hospitals where one underwent surgery. The suspect fled the scene and was later identified as 17-year-old Austin Lyle. On Wednesday afternoon, police said Lyle's vehicle had been found in Park County. Later in the evening, the Park County Sheriff found his body near the car. East High will be closed for the rest of the week. Dr. Alex Marrero, superintendent of the Denver Public School District, says there will be increased security at the school for the remainder of the school year. He adds school district officials are looking at returning police officers or school resource officers to the school. In 2020, the district voted to end its relationship with the Denver Police Department. We'll have two armed officers here at East until the end of the school year. We're looking forward to expanding that conversation to see how we can uh, reestablish a relationship with presence at our schools, in particular our high schools. Wednesday's shooting came six weeks after 16-year-old student Luis Garcia was shot in his car outside the school. He died two weeks later. That shooting prompted hundreds of students to march on the state capitol earlier this month demanding action on gun violence. Clara Taub, a sophomore at East High, spoke at the Capitol on March 3rd. She said it's a scary time to be in high school. I think as students we are especially vulnerable because we don't have a lot of control and there's a lot of youth, youth violence right now, especially in Denver. So we're really just trying to um, make that change and protect our peers, protect our friends um, by, by doing things like this. Democrats at the State House have introduced two gun reform bills. One would allow people to sue gun manufacturers, and another would expand red flag laws. Some East High students had been scheduled to testify in favor of the bills on Wednesday. Some family members of people killed in the King Supers shooting in Boulder did testify on what was also the second anniversary of the shooting. Three bills expanding and protecting access to reproductive health care got final approval from the state Senate on Wednesday. One would shield out-of-state patients seeking abortions or gender-affirming care in Colorado. It would also protect their providers from out-of-state investigation and prosecution. Others would regulate so-called crisis pregnancy centers and mandate health insurance coverage for reproductive health care and treatment for sexually transmitted infections. All three bills will now be considered by the House. Governor Jared Polis and Democratic lawmakers announced sweeping new efforts to address Colorado's housing crisis on Wednesday. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports they're focused on increasing residential density in cities and towns. 
The proposal would be the state's most significant land use reform in decades. Governor Polis says Colorado housing is getting less and less accessible and needs to change course. This is how we will make more housing options for every Colorado budget and every community, drive down costs that are pricing Coloradans out of our homes and out of our neighborhoods. The proposal includes a bill that would prevent municipalities from limiting duplexes, triplexes, townhomes, and housing add-ons. The state's biggest cities would have to allow for multi-unit or multi-family buildings in all residential neighborhoods and near transportation hubs. It does not, however, require construction of such housing. Local government officials, housing advocates, business representatives, and environmental leaders spoke in support of the proposal. Some say it still needs work. The Colorado Municipal League opposes it. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of snow showers tonight, ending early, followed by clouds in a low near 10 degrees. Friday calls for snow showers in the afternoon with a high near 30 and wind gusting to 35 miles per hour. Snow is likely to continue Friday night with a low near 0 degrees and wind chills dipping to negative 15. Saturday calls for partly sunny skies and a high near 30. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low near zero degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, March 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Sue Berg, Rich and Blue Ann Hamilton, Paul Murphy, Sheila Wells, Tim Bixler, Daniel Harlan, Rick Myers, Jeff White, Catherine Borsnick and Jean Wheel, Peter Harrelson, Tom and Jan Newell, Jeffrey White, Harley Brooke Hitching, Paul Hayden and Lee Sullivan, Jessica Newins, Madeline Whiteman, Celine and Scott Campbell, Sue Hobby, Suzanne Chevins and John Wontrobski, Bob and Chris Newman, Brian Wallahan and Melinda Lori Roddick, Marianne Zircone, Kristen Hughes, Russ and Connie Pallone, Janice Zink and Norm Squire, Kevin Cheney, Richard and Deborah Idler, Jasper DuPont III, Diane Max, Delton and Blair Poole, Courtney Child and Grover Price, Ruth Felicelli, and Michael Isaacs. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. Hello, Koto listeners. This is Claire from Telluride Chamber Music, here to tell you about the very exciting final concert of our winter season, coming up on Sunday, March 26th. The Grammy-nominated violinist Tessa Lark will be performing at The Palm at 6pm in a co-presentation by Telluride Chamber Music and Palm Arts. Tessa is one of the most captivating artistic voices of our time, consistently praised by critics and audiences for her astounding range of sounds, technical agility and musical elegance. In 2020, she was nominated for a Grammy for Sky, a bluegrass-inspired violin concerto written for her by Michael Talk. And in 2021, she made her debuts at New York's Carnegie Hall and London's Wigmore Hall. A budding superstar in the classical realm, she is also a highly acclaimed fiddler in the tradition of her native Kentucky, delighting audiences with programming that includes Appalachian and bluegrass music and inspiring composers to write for her. 
The performance on Sunday, March 26th will take place at 6pm, with both Tessa and the audience seated on the stage in the Michael D. Palm Theatre, which creates a uniquely intimate atmosphere. Tessa will then be leading an educational student outreach for the Telluride Public Schools on Monday, March 27th at 9am. To buy tickets to this fantastic concert, go to telluridepalm.com. Advanced tickets are $35 for adults, $20 for students, and on the day, it's $40 for adults and $25 for students. Thank you so much, and we'll see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.